You can be seated. We're so blessed to be together uh, among the people of God in the Spirit of God. In this season after Easter, I have uh, brought to you a series that I call This I Believe. And we've been studying the basic beliefs, going to the basics, back to basics, about what do Christ believers believe? You know, sometimes I have people call me and they say, Pastor Jeff, what do we believe about this? (laughs) And so this is part of the foundation of of who we are as we make a study like this. And I have framed this in terms of what I call the big questions. Big, big questions. We'll do some other things about little questions, but the big questions. Uh, And and it starts with uh, who is the Trinity or who is God? I think I'm on the next slide there. Uh, Who is God? I guess it's not moving, so... There we go. Well, I'll just go on ahead. You have some notes out there. Uh, The big questions are, who is God? And that uh, is the self-revelation of God as uh, the Trinity. We find that in Genesis chapter 1. And how do we know? How do we know who God is? How do we know anything? And and it's the Bible. The Bible is our source. So we talked about that. Uh, The next thing that we talked about was, how bad is it? We kind of know we're broken, And boy, you look out in the world and you see humanity is really broken, but how bad is it? So we looked at the human condition, and then we looked at the answer. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the answer. Boy, if you don't get anything else out of this series, take hold of Jesus. We just, we're singing that name of Jesus is so powerful. The grace of the Lord Jesus is so powerful. And then we talked about who's got the power? How do we connect with power? And that's Uh, our study of the Holy Spirit. Today, uh, we're going to ask the question, where do I connect? And it's the question of church. I say the word church, and uh, a lot of people, some will will kind of wince. I I was doing some study, and and I was kind of surprised, I I shouldn't have been, that you look out into the secular thought, and there's so many that are asking, why church at all? Uh, And it's mostly because of the, the images that come to mind, the experiences that they have had with church. And so uh, we want to look at church and understand church biblically, what it's really supposed to be, and set aside maybe some of our misconceptions, set aside some of maybe even the damage that has happened in our hearts and lives related to what church is. So we're going to go back to the beginning of church. How about that? The beginning of church, we often mark in Acts chapter 2. And so I want to read and bring to you Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. It's a short passage of scripture. You'll find it on page 911 of the Bible that's out there. And if you do not own a Bible, please change that today. Take one of those Bibles, put your name in it, take it home, own a Bible starting today, a gift from Faith Fellowship Church. So let's listen to what happened there. There had been this great outpouring upon all these people who were gathered for the feast Thousands and thousands of people. And in that one day, 3,000 people came to to know the Lord and were baptized. Can you imagine a day like that? I mean, we we go to camp and we baptize like like 20 or 30 people. And it's a big deal. I can't imagine 3,000. I don't even know how how do you find the water for that. (laughs) My goodness. And and so right after this, uh, Peter preaches, uh, you know, this amazing thing. And then we see a picture of what happened, what was the result of this outpouring, the the birthday of the church. And 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Won't you stand and let's give thanks to the Lord for his word. God, we thank you for your voice among your people. We thank you for the pages of your word, but we we thank you for your breath that comes off of the pages. And we thank you for the word as it impacts our lives and in our community, our church, God, we thank you. And we pray that we might hear exactly what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I was kind of, I was kind of um, puzzled as I, as I was studying the early church. And I realized we never hear them talk about going to church. We talk about it all the time. We say, are you going to church this week? Are, are we going to church this week? Are we going to go to the beach? Are we going to church? Uh, these are the kinds of things that we think about. You don't find that uh, in, in the scriptures here uh, because they were already there. They were already gathered. And we're going to use that word gathered to, to understand what church really means. In fact, church was so wonderful, you could not pry them away from it. Well, well who wouldn't want to be there? Did you hear it? The description that people are sharing all these amazing things and, and, and this, this fellowship that was going on there. They didn't have to have a come back to church Sunday. <laughs> Nothing like that. In fact, it's all the way to Acts chapter 8 before a huge persecution takes place to push the gathered church out as the scattered church. God needed to get them out there because he needed the gospel to go out. But here at the very beginning, we have a picture. It's just amazing, a snapshot, brief as it may be. And it says they devoted themselves to God and one another. There's a Greek word here, and this is the service that really likes Greek, right? Greek, Greek, Greek. Okay, good. If you chant for it, you'll get it. All right. Um, But the the word is proskartereo. Boy, that's a big one. Say it with me, proskartereo. And it means to persist obstinately in. It's one of my favorite. It's one of the first Greek words that I really dug in on a long, long time ago. To persist or apply obstinately yourself. They persisted obstinately in, in four, specifically in four different things that are named there. You heard it, the apostles' teaching. They were there to persist. They didn't walk away and say, oh, I think I'll find another teacher. They persisted obstinately in the apostles' teaching, in the fellowship that they were finding there that was going on there, in the breaking of bread, probably the earliest um, examples of the Lord's Supper among God's people, and prayers. So they, they just didn't neglect these things at all. 
And then he goes on and says some more things. It says they were in awe before God. And then they saw wonders and signs. And I always love the ordering of that. They didn't wait for wonders and signs before they were in awe. They were just in awe before God. And then they saw wonders and signs. So worship is fundamentally about arriving, that the gathering is about arriving in awe. If you come in awe, you're going to see some things. You're going to experience some things. All this other stuff started happening. They were, they were being together. They, they met needs by having things in common. If somebody had a need, they said, well, I've got something. I'll help you. And, and they shared this. This is the first experience of, of the gathering we call church. They worshiped in the temple. They gathered in homes to break bread. They had home groups. This is where it started. Uh, they praised God and they had favor with the people. Isn't that amazing? Sounds perfect, doesn't it? Say amen, Pastor Jeff. That's amazing. But as time went on, church got difficult. How many of you know church can be difficult? Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) Some of you have known that for sure. By Acts chapter 5, there was dishonesty that was creeping in about giving. You know, they were, there was someone, they sold some property and they lied about it. They lied about what they gave. It wasn't a big deal. It shouldn't have been a big deal. But because they lied to the Holy Spirit, it was really a big deal. Acts chapter 6, uh, there were complaints uh, among the, the, really the groups, the Hebrew families and the Greek families. So there were ethnic groups. At the very beginning, there were ethnic groups that were different. And, and one was complaining, you know, they get more food than we do. And so they had to work that out. They had to figure that out, work on the difficulties. 20 years later in the church at Corinth, it was anything but perfect. I mean, you study the church at Corinth, it was just kind of a mess, a lot. I mean, it's just incredible. In fact, in the 11th chapter of of, uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, when you come together, things are not for the better. That's pretty strong. But for the worse, how would you like to hear that? When you get together as church, you should just not even bother. Because it isn't for, nothing better comes out of it. That's pretty strong, isn't it? When you come together as as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it. There must be factions among you. And and we find ourselves asking, what happened to that um, all believed and and were together and had all things in common? Where did that go? All, All that good stuff at the very, very beginning. And we realized they had somehow lost the true connection of the church. They had lost that that beautiful beginning that was there. Church was no longer a place to share with others. I, I want to go to church because I want to see who I'm going to share with this week. What, what an amazing motivation. Uh, they were dishonoring the Lord's Supper and treating it callously and casually. And people were focused just more on themselves and not on God. And, and on others, and that, that's the problem that can happen. If we think about it very much, we realize church is still difficult. I mean, I talk to people, they, they come and they say, you know, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. You know, maybe you've heard that. Now, now be careful about that, because uh, remember, the church is his bride. You know, we don't, we don't want to insult his bride, but we understand the struggle, the difficulty with that. Some have been hurt or disillusioned by the church. And over the years of our church, I found that we've been a place of healing. Many people come and they say, I was really hurt in my last church. I say, well, just come and sit. 
I, I, can, I can give you the names of five different pastors and wives who have come here over the past 30 years or so that, that came and said, we just need to come and heal. And, and, and then they, and they found healing and, and went out and then began to minister again. So we need to be the place of healing and not the place of hurting as church. And we need to kind of get a grip on that a little bit. At some point, some have, have just looked at the scandal and the abuse, and they've said, I, I, I don't want to connect to that. But here's the truth that I want us to not miss. You go through history. You, you can find the bad times, for sure. But I would suggest to you that no entity in history has connected more people to God and focused compassionate care to the world than the church. Almost every hospital movement, almost every hospice movement. You, you know, we have universities and educational institutions. Um, they began because they wanted to teach the scripture. All of our education was to learn the Bible. I mean, there's so much that is rooted in the church and in the movement of the church. So, so what is church? We, we need to get a hold of that. Because, I mean, I have images that come to my mind of pews and organs and things like that. And, and uh, you know, I always remember when I was a little boy that church was the day I had to wear a tie. You know, anybody used to have to do that, yeah. And I remember that uh, the pastor would say, we're going to wor- worship now with our tithes and offerings. And I thought he was saying tithes and offerings. <laughs> and I was all set with my tie. Bring my offering. Uh, but what, what is it? What is church? The Greek word is ekklesia. Say that one with me, ekklesia. And that literally just means the called out ones. That's what you are right now. Now, it really means the spiritually called out ones. We're, we're gathered together. It's part of it. But those who have been called out of the world, out of the darkness, the scripture says, into wonderful, marvelous light, we're the ones who are called out and gathered together for his purposes. So there's a universal church. That's really what, what God sees. When he looks, he didn't see the buildings and denominations and all this stuff and all the little divisions and arguments and, and the doctrinal stuff. He sees the people that are connected to him by his grace. That's what he sees. And that's his church. That's his body, the body of Christ. Those who have found salvation uh, by grace in Christ. And, and the church is also local. I call it the local expression of the body of Christ. Uh, the gathering of believers uh, that are near us. And they're organized by denominations. People say, why do we have to have so many denominations? It's because there are a lot of different ways that we need to reach people. And, and so there are a lot of different, you know, brands, I guess, to, to be able to do that. I don't think that's out of God's control. But from the moment we are born again, we realize we have a need to connect. Uh, we're drawn to, to come to some place to recharge our souls, to connect, to plug in. And we're attracted to other believers. The Spirit of God within us desires a communion with the Spirit of God and other people. And I don't know if you've seen this or, or maybe remember or experience it, but when you're saved, all of a sudden, your, your radar is on and you recognize other people who are saved and you want to be near those people. You know, I always stand over on the side after uh, the service to, uh, to greet the people who have come to church. And it's always a blessing to hear why people have come, how they got here. And uh, I've had some people come in and they say, I don't really know how I got here. I didn't even know this church was here 
and somehow I made a turn and I ended up here and, and, and what I'm discovering here is so amazing. And, and so that's a beginning point. That's a seeker point. And I go, wow, God, God's doing this amazing thing, bringing here, you here into our midst. I've had, I've had other people who, uh, they, they'll be there and they say, Pastor, I, I'm so blessed because I have just recently been born again. And I knew I needed something, and it's here. I walked in the door. This is what I need. This is the connection that I need. I, I need others who know him. So we need to connect with him privately, but we also need to connect with him corporately in the gathering. Jesus described it this way. He said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. It's familiar. And we often think about it as small groups. Like, well, if there's only two or three, it may be the biggest thing that we need to get a hold of. When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, among them. And it's the same Greek word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 11. When you gather, it's the very same word. So we're talking about the same thing. It's the word sunerkomai. Say that with me, sunerkomai. And it means to assemble, to convene in company, to gather together. And we realize there's this connection with Jesus that happens when we're gathered, and it's powerful and it's different. I don't know how many people have told me, they say, you know, during pandemic, uh, you know, that live stream was really good and I'm so thankful for it. But boy, when I came back, how many of you know what I'm talking about? There's this connection that happens. I told you before about something that happened when we were in Israel one time. We were at Masada and we were getting onto the cable car uh, to go up to Masada. About 120 people on this. Well, our, our group was just a fraction of that. And we're getting, so that's pretty tight. They pack them in pretty tight. It wasn't tight, tight, but it was tight. You know, you're going, I hope we get up there soon. And we're going, we're in there and we're kind of watching the scenery and everything like that. And, and someone started to sing. And they started to sing and I, I didn't understand any of the words, but everybody understood what it was. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. And, and we were hearing it in all these languages. It was a Korean group that started it. And all this, it was just electrifying. Suddenly as believers, as people who claim the grace of the Lord Jesus, we were all connected. It was electrifying. And, and that's what gathering, there was church. I mean, we were having church. And it was just, just very, very amazing. It's in those gathered connections that we find something um, that we gain in those situations. And, and what I want to do is lift up for you some of the things that are in this scripture. And, and there, there are several of them. Worship, word, fellowship, service, and sacrament. And it's not going to be real long with that. But those are the things that we need that we get from the gathering. I was thinking about it this week, and I, I started thinking about uh, the, the new, we see electric cars all the time. And electric cars are amazing. I don't own one, but I have several friends that do. And I, so I've learned a little bit about them. There's different kinds. But my first question would be, eh, where do I recharge that thing? 
And, and how far can I go? That's a big one. Can I go far enough? And, and what I've learned is you need a home charging point. You need to, a place where you recharge your electric vehicle at home and, and you get your regular full charge. You need that. And then if you're planning a trip, you need these stop points. You plan your whole trip around the stop points that I can go this far and then I'm going to stop and then I'll be there a while and 20 minutes or whatever and I'm going to charge up and then I'll, I'll go on to the next place. And then there are some that are what we call hybrids. That is, they, they have a way of charging themselves as you go. And it occurred to me that it is exactly the same for us as Christ followers. And all of those charging points are very significant and important. The local church is the regular home charging station. That's where you get your, your, your full charge. And, and we do that in a pattern. I mean, we meet several times a week, but we think about it. You know, the Bible creates us in this pattern of seven. So on the first day of the week, we come together because that's the Lord's day and it's our, our charging day. We charge on Saturday night too, in case you don't know. But uh, also on our Wednesdays, we have a point there. There are a lot of places where you can charge up <laughs> uh, television ministries and podcasts and apps and all kinds of things like that. And, and also there's a hybrid charge that you can do on your way, but with yourself, in the scripture yourself. Have you ever been going along and I, I listen to news radio and, and I'll be listening and I'll just go, I got to shut that stuff off. And I'll tune in, you know, to, to the Z, Z88. And I go, ah. Oh. And I mean, it, it almost, it doesn't matter. The people are nice. <laughs> and, and, and there's a charging with, and it, it's not the same as other worship, but wow, what a, what a, it's like the hybrid charging along the way. But the local church is your primary place for fuel. The local church provides things that you can't get anywhere else. And by the way, the Z is not church. It's wonderful. Hebrews 10 describes it this way. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And I, I would suggest to you a translation of the PJV, Pastor Jeff version, would say, and let us consider how to charge up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, not neglecting to gather, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Greek word there means to incite for good. I think that's a charge, a charge up. So our gathering, it connects us with several types of fuel that we don't get anywhere else. Let me just bring them before you. The first is worship. Now you can worship, I hope you worship on your own. I hope you have times that you can walk on the beach and worship, praise God, we walk in the mountains and worship. Uh, but Ephesians 5 says that we're to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with, your, with our heart. That's what we were just doing. I mean, it's just amazing. And when it, and these, these folks, they don't come up here because they just like to sing. They do like to sing. But, but they're not doing it just to sing. They're, they're leading us into that place where we are singing to one another. And we're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Worship is primarily something we bring to God. But when we gather corporately uh, and we bring that offering together, there's a connection. There's an intangible power that connects the room. It's like the, the thing that I was talking about in the cable car. 
So many will say, you know, uh, that when they returned from pandemic, it was so different when they connected here in this place. I don't know if it, do any of you remember the Promise Keepers movement back in the 90s, I guess. Remember, I went to the first Promise Keepers gathering. I was on vacation. We went to Boulder, Colorado. And I thought, oh, okay, another conference. I'm on vacation. I shouldn't have to go to a conference. <laughs> and I mean, I walked in there. And if you ever went to one of those, uh, gentlemen, 50,000 men. And you know, men, they kind of, they sing, you know. Some don't sing, but they sing. 50,000 men worshiping, singing. And I mean, it was electric. It was so very powerful, that connection, as we worshiped together, giving and receiving. It's both. Sometimes somebody will say, well, I didn't get much out of worship. And, and we're tempted to say, well, it wasn't for you. It was for God. It's kind of, kind of snippy, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, but I thought about it. No, it is for you. Well, we need, to, we, need, we need to give and receive because it's both. And there's something, there's a charge we receive, amen, in worship. You don't get it anywhere else. The second is the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing, correcting, guiding one another in all wisdom, also singing psalms and hymns. And, and so this is an exposure to the word of God. That's what we're doing right now. Uh, persisting obstinately in the word. You need a place to consistently engage the word of God with other believers. And that, of course, can happen in small groups and in Sunday school classes and in all ki- home groups, all kinds of things. But it happens right here. It's a big part of what we do every week. And I believe you need a teacher of the word who is tested, whom you can trust. I love questions. People send me questions all the time. In fact, I, I volunteer for a website called Got Questions. It's really great. And, and they send me a question a week. And, and I, I answer the question for somebody somewhere in the world. You know, it's just something I do for fun, sort of. <laughs> but last night I was out in the lobby, and there were, um, there were like three or four young adults. And they just came around. And they said, Pastor Jeff, we got a question. Boy, do our young adults ask wow questions. And I just love that. But we need someone in our midst. We need people in our midst who can answer the questions that we have uh, and what we call rightly divide the word of truth. That's my prayer. I, boy, I pray and pray to be uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. The third thing is fellowship. What is fellowship? It's not two fellows in a ship, okay? Um, Jesus described it. Don't, don't hit the symbol over there, okay? Uh, John 17, Jesus said this. He was, in his, he was in prayer with his father, and he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Fellowship it. Is, is where we gather together and we find that iron sharpens iron just as one man sharpens another. There's a, an amazing thing that happens in fellowship. Uh, John, in, in his letter, invited believers into fellowship so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The, 
The word is probably one you've heard. It's the word koinonia. Say that with me, koinonia. It's where we get the word for communion. When we take communion, we have the image of a, of a union together, of a fellowship together. The fourth is service. First uh, Peter says it this way, as each has received a gift, we talk about that in many places in the Bible, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You need a place to serve. Uh, you need a place to worship. You need a place for the word. You need uh, all of these things. You need a place of fellowship, of sharpening, but we need a place to serve. Uh, the gathering is not a spectator sport. We need to find that place. The fifth thing is what we call sacraments or ordinances. Now, the old word that many of us grew up with was sacrament. Uh, But they're referred to often as ordinances, the things that God ordained. They're connecting points. And they, they only happen in the gathering. They only happen as the gathered people. Uh, Jesus himself gave these uh, among gathered settings. And so these are the places and the times we connect with God's grace. We don't, we don't get God's grace there, but we connect and we celebrate God's grace. Historically, the church created more, created a lot of them. But the Bible is specific about two sacraments or ordinances. They are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are the ones that we hold within our church. And that we celebrate within our church. Neither of them save you. What saves you? Jesus. His grace that you receive by faith. Nothing else. There's not anything you can do. This is an amazing thing about grace. There's nothing you can do. Nothing that will make God love you more than he already has and already does. Someone say praise God. Yeah. And so these are things we do that connect us and that celebrate The grace that we have already experienced. You can only be saved by grace through faith. And forgiveness of God is administered by one priest alone. And he is Jesus. Holy Spirit will bring you to that place. So Jesus commissioned baptism as a way to visibly reenact the gospel. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's a visible picture of the gospel. When we go underwater, not too long, <laughs> we're being buried with Christ. And then when we come up, I love to baptize. It's one of my favorite things. It's never a bad deal. But I'll joke a little bit, and I'll, I'll, we'll be at camp, and I'll say, now, now I'm gonna, you're going to go underwater, hold your nose, and I'm going to pray for two or three minutes. <laughs> and eyes get really big. I don't always say that. But, but it's this thing where we, we visually experience dying and being raised with Christ. It's just amazing. It, re- it reenacts the gospel visibly and tangibly as a believer. Um, and, and it's one of those actions that we do as the gathered church. You cannot baptize yourself. Now, I know I talk to people and they'll say, well, Pastor Jeff, I went out to, last night I was out at the ocean. I went out in the ocean and I was just so, so spiritual and I prayed and I baptized myself. And I, I know that's sweet. But, uh, and I, so I don't argue with people. I say, if that was meaningful to you, I think it's great. And it doesn't save you anyway. But uh, you cannot baptize yourself. If you, it, you can do it, what's called a ritual cleansing, it would be like a mik, Jewish mikvah bath. That's you do yourself. 
if you're baptized, someone baptizes you. And they say some words, usually, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What I like to do is everybody that's there, if you're a believer, I say, let's join together. We baptize you because it's the body of Christ. I get to represent body of Christ in that baptism. It's just it's some of the most joyous moments. Boy, when we are at camp, that, that picture's from camp. I mean, I could put up 100 pictures from camp of these joyous moments when we go to the Jordan River and, and people come up out of the water and it's, it's really cold, so they... <gasps> <laughs> some of you remember... But, but it's this amazing thing that we do corporately uh, together. And you, know, we're, and you can renew your baptism. People come to me and they say, well, I'm going to Israel. Can I, can I get baptized again? I say, well, we will remember your baptism. Uh, sometimes they'll say, well, I was baptized as a baby. I don't even remember that. It wasn't my choice. And so I say, well, come on. And, because it doesn't save you anyway. We, we, the grace of God saves you. Uh, we're we're going to baptize June 9th at camp if you're interested, and then June 26th uh, here at the church uh, the, during the week of Mission Week. But Jesus also gave us the Lord's Supper to remember and connect. The Lord's Supper reminds us of something. You know, I, I, I kind of like to say, uh, because we have the remembrance words, I say, remember how much Jesus did for you as you take this. It's so, so powerful for us to do that. And it connects us to the body of Christ. Both of those ordinances are corporate. They are gathered expressions. Can you uh, take the Lord's Supper by yourself? Well, that that may be meaningful. I'm not going to say that you can't. But it is a gathered event. A solitary uh, uh, expression is not joining with the body. Now, if you're joining us by live stream... And, and we're all together, and you prepare your elements. We're together. We are gathered. You're far from us, but we are gathered in the Spirit. Do you need a priest or a minister? Sometimes I have uh, people, they'll call me, they'll say, we're at our, Pastor Jeff, we're at our small group, and we wanted to have communion. Are we allowed to do that? Scripture we just said, read, said that they did it all the time. There's nothing that says that that you have to have a minister or a priest there or a blessing of the bread and the wine uh, consecrated by by the minister. Uh, It's good to pray over everything. And oh, by the way, the Bible teaches a priesthood of all believers. Did you know you're a priest? If you're a believer, if you're saved, you're a priest. You're an ambassador too, but you're a priest. Paul gave some warnings about how we observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, He he said, he warned them, he said not to take it lightly, casually. You need to recognize the body of Christ. He he also said, he he called believers to examine their hearts and to prepare their hearts before receiving. Um, And he also said an interesting thing. He said, "Don't, don't be in such a rush. Wait for one another and receive together. So we we try to do that when we give you elements in, in a few moments or you've got elements, hold them contemplate them, and then we will receive together. Ordinances do not save us, but they do connect us. The church does not save us, but it does connect us. And this amazing thing happens in the Lord's Supper. It's in Luke 24. It says, he made himself known to us in the breaking of the bread. 
it's kind of, it's one of the mysteries of the gospel. Do you know what I'm talking about? As he makes himself known to us when we break bread together and share the cup. Our statement of faith talks about the church, and I want us to say it uh, together. Uh, I want to invite you, you don't have to say it, but I want to invite you, uh, if you would, to join me. And let's stand and let's say aloud this part of our statement of faith. It's what I've just been talking about, so it shouldn't be uh, any kind of a mystery here. Are you ready? We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in all local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel, though they are not means of salvation when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for giving us connection points. Thank you for giving us this this gathering. Thank you for giving us worship. Thank you for giving us the things that we need and thank you for giving us a baptism to experience and to tangibly think about salvation. Thank you for the Lord's Supper. Touch us with these truths in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You should have received a communion kit as you came in today. Uh, If you do not have one, if you'll raise your hand and keep it in the air, uh, one of the ushers will bring that to you, and we want to get that for you. you just to meditate upon life and upon the great price paid, upon what he gave for you, and to approach the ordinance, the sacrament, uh, with our hearts open and clear before
took old elements from the Passover, Seder, dinner, and he gave them new meaning. I think about that sometimes, about how it gave a fresh idea to the disciples that in just a few days, a few weeks, they would be able to recognize their risen Savior in the breaking of the bread. Do you remember the two walking on the road to Emmaus? They spent the whole afternoon with Jesus. He was explaining the scriptures all day to them. But they didn't recognize him until that, that Jesus accepted their invitation to come into their home. And they broke bread together. And it was at that moment of the breaking of the bread that they said, it's the Lord. And they raced all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the others that Jesus was alive. It was true. And then later, a couple weeks later, on this beautiful Sea of Galilee, they went out to go fishing and caught nothing all night long. And a voice from the shore said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. All of a sudden, it dawned on them, this was the Lord. And what did Jesus do? He invited them to breakfast. Come have breakfast with me. Bring some of those fish that you caught. And they broke bread together. And they shared that meaning, meaningful meal. Why was it so meaningful? Peter had just denied even being a friend or an acquaintance of Jesus publicly three times. And now Jesus was welcoming him back. He was eating with him, a beautiful sign of forgiveness. When we take Holy Communion on a regular basis, it gives us an opportunity to confess before the Lord our shortcomings. Times when we have not been as true to our faith as we want to be. Maybe we've thought things we shouldn't have thought or said things we shouldn't have said. Maybe we've left some things undone that we should have done. But every time we take Holy Communion, we have an opportunity to get a fresh start with Jesus. I love that. Anybody here for fresh starts? Yes. So as we meditate, as we come before the Lord, we say thank you for giving us this opportunity to recognize that you are alive, that you continue to forgive us. Not just the first time we gave you all of our sins when we became believers, but on a regular basis so that we could be transformed more and more into the persons that you want us to be, the light in the darkness, the way that you want us to spend our lives giving witness to you. The world needs Jesus. You have Jesus. You need this recharging as much as we need it. And then we decide what will we do with it. Will we take it out? Will we share our faith with others? This is what communion does. It reminds us of our mission, of our purpose, of how God can use each one of us individually. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me.
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take this in remembrance of him. God, we thank you, we praise you, we receive the charge, the blessing. Thank you for meeting us in this place, in Jesus' name, amen.